Hello, everybody. Welcome to Kingdom of Honor. I'm your host, the Honorable Zanman, Shane Sabunia. I'm not the Honorable One. He's the Honorable One. Jeff, I just totally screwed it up. That's what I was going to say. When when did you become Honorable? Oh, I'm fucking not, dude. <laughs> oh, all right. Fair enough. I'll also have anybody in the back, I feel like. Yeah, I'm right there with you this week. All right. There you go. So we're, we're here to talk about uh, the night, night two of Rebellion. And Jeff, I have to tell you, I think I barely liked Night 2 better than I liked Night 1, but neither one of them were great. I liked the matches in Night 2 so much better. Um, I hated Madison Rain this week, which really annoyed me because I thought she was so great last week, and this week I really, really hated hated, hated it. Why can't everybody hate Madison Rain? Why did you hate her? She just she didn't have the same snappy barbs and the same. I mean, she just played. Um, I know you like to use this reference for any time there's a generic baby face or generic heel, but to me, she felt like uh, heel announcer number thirty four. You know, she what? Yeah, she didn't seem. She didn't have. There wasn't the. There wasn't the making fun of Josh. Josh was making fun of himself. Like the whole thing with the soybean burger and the, um, you know, all that stuff. It just, it seemed more like Josh was making fun of himself this time than having Madison or Don Callis making fun of him. He stole and it thunder. just, what's that? He stole her thunder. Yeah, almost. It, it just, it seemed more like this episode, he made himself the Mauro Ranallo focal point, where everything was about Josh Matthews and not so much uh, letting Madison Rain tell her, si- her side, and um, he didn't let the matches speak, and there were so many things that, throughout the night, that just annoyed me, like his whole, I mean, the way he kept talking about TNA Originals constantly throughout the show and then when you look back when you got to the final you realized why it was he was for he was trying to foreshadow the main event but in all reality all he did was make himself sound like an idiot and then during that main event he just he kept talking about how oh they've been in the ring a long time they've been in the ring a long time and i think he said that like five times throughout that match yeah you know what one of the things that bugs me the most about, I think, about Josh Matthews is he's always, I cannot wait for this. He can never be in right. the moment. You know, it's it's always, even Rebellion Night 1, it was, I cannot wait for Rebellion Night 2. It's like, dude. <laughs> well, and he, and he said that to close out the show. I can't wait till next week yeah. to see what happens. And it's like, I, you know, we, we talked a lot last week about why didn't Moose get a shot? Why didn't Moose get a shot? And I never really saw the um, the way that it worked out. I just saw the headlines, you know. And I didn't I didn't watch the match. I didn't look at anything. I didn't you know until I watched it. I knew the result that Moose, Moose had won, and Moose was the new heavyweight champion. I didn't realize he was the TNA heavyweight champion. And the fact that Josh spent the entire main event downplaying that that he's not. You know, whoever wins this match is not a champion, and Moose is not a champion, and all this stuff. It just really took a lot of the thunder away from a guy like Moose, who we both agreed last week deserved a, a title run. It kind of took a thunder away from him and made it really seem like, eh, it's not that big a deal. 
Yeah, he definitely deserves a title run. I thought it was a he hasn't really been built to that to this point. But um, the thing is, this is this is almost like a a more legitimate version of what Matt Taven was doing last year. Right. You know, it's it's more it's more legitimate in the sense that you know there is not a, there is no impact champion around right now. Moose has been rolling over all of the TNA stars he's faced. Um, he has, you know, they just brought TNA back a couple of weeks before that for a one night return thing and brought the championship to that show along with it. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a cool thing where like, like Moose is saying he's the TNA world champion. There is no impact world champion. So for all intents and purposes, he's the only, he's the only world champion on the show. Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not and, saying anything uh, about that. And, I absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it's going to be a nice build to, for, to when he faces off against, Tessa Blanchard to decide who really is the world champion. I absolutely love the storyline. I think it's an, an incredible storyline. It's one that we really haven't seen. And when Matt Taven did it, he had legitimate gripes. Like he had beaten Jay Lethal. He had beaten Marty Skrull. He had beaten all these contenders <clears throat> and the champion. So for him running around saying, I'm the real world's champion, that made sense. With Moose, the storyline build, I mean, the fact that, like you said, he's been running through TNA originals um, up one side and down the other, you know, and and, const- and destroying them all and, and positioning himself. And the fact that he took the championship and declared himself the champion, I was okay with. And then he w- went out there and he earned the match. I have no problem with him being... A secondary, not I don't want to call it a secondary, but a, a title holder, a disputed title holder like that. I have absolutely no problem with it, and I love the storyline. And if they pull this off right, it's going to be a great storyline when they finally come together and unite the championships. Um, my whole issue with it was the fact that it was downplayed through the entire the entire match. I mean, it, it was it was. But, but that's but that's what's going to happen with the baby face, with the baby face especially, or and probably even with the heel. They're going to be see, like, you know what? He's calling himself the champion, but he's not really the champion. Well, Madison Rain, Madison Rain, I felt like did a great job with that, where she kept saying he carries himself like a champion, he acts like a champion. There's no problem calling him a champion. Um, I I like the way that Madison Rain portrayed it as the perfect heel announcer, but I think that Josh really overdid it with the cons- the constants. Like every chance he got, he had to remind us that Moose stole that belt. And I felt like at some point, you know, even if as a face announcer and the face announcers do that occasionally where they'll give props to the heel saying, yeah, he's, you know, he's done a great job. He's, you know, he's put himself in this position, that position, you know, but ultimately because he's a heel, they can't um, get behind his antics, but they do still put him over. I, Jim Ross did that for years with people uh, like The Rock when The Rock was the corporate champion. He would do that all the time, talking about how you know he doesn't like his attitude, but you know ultimately he was he's the champion. And he and he you know beat this guy and beat that guy to prove it and so on. And I felt like Josh just spent more time not only running down Moose but running down the championship that it it took away any kind of power that that title could have had. I think he's just doing his, you know, I think, I think he's just playing the counterpoint. Like, you know, there's, 
I didn't feel I didn't feel that way. I guess just because I just I didn't expect him to to sell it as legitimate. You know, I mean, I expected him to be against Moose claiming he was the champion or anybody claiming that they were the champion that wasn't Tessa Blanchard. You know, I mean, we talked we talked about this and we talked about this last week how we feel like, at least I feel like, and I think and I think you were on the same board that Tessa has become a lame duck champion. And yeah, she really time, has. And it, and it was time for her to, to lose that championship. I really wanted Michael Elgin to get the world championship, but it, but it wouldn't have felt right for him to get it in this spot with Tessa, with Tessa not there to, to lose it to him. So I like the, I really like the direction that they went. Um, I like, I like the fact that Josh is playing it off as not real because <clears throat> it's not an official impact championship, but, but there's no thing saying that, a, that, a, you know, a heel guy, especially a guy like Moose, who thinks he's the greatest thing wrestler in the history of the world, who thinks he's better than anybody that ever existed, who thinks he's a legend when he's not, would be the, would be the guy going out there claiming to be the TNA world champion when the Impact World Championship isn't there. I just hope that they build it at some point to something like we saw at Vengeance 2003, where it's a, where it ends up being like a four-man, a four-person mini-tournament to decide who the actual world champion is. Or like they did earlier this year, I, I suppose, at, uh, at Wrestle Kingdom, even. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind having a... Um, it, to be honest, I just I wouldn't mind having a CM Punk, John Cena-type payoff. Where the two uh, actually at some point collide, I just wanted to breathe a little bit more, and I, I wanted to feel like Moose is a legitimate champion. Like I, I, I get the fact that he's playing it down. You know, he called himself the champ. He's not the champ, and whatever. I get all that, but at some point, a little bit of credibility to the accomplishes accomplishments that Moose has had would have gone a long way, and he could still could have played the babyface you know, unapproval, unapproving, you know, I don't like the way that he just stole the championship and then called himself the champion. But after this match, he went out against the number one contender. And um, I'm not really sure why they threw Hernandez in there, but whatever. Um, he went out and beat two top guys to get that title or to, to retain his championship. They threw so Hernandez it, out there so Michael Elgin wouldn't have to lose the match. Yeah, that's a good point. So he could still have legitimate claim to the world title. Right. But it, you know, ultimately he went out there and he won a three-way against two uh, formidable guys. Two guys that we've been saying for, you know, we said that it was embarrassing that uh, Hernandez didn't win a title his first round in TNA. You know, so it, it, it I just, I, I really was hoping for a little bit more legitimacy to it. And it, he could have been legit. Well, he could have legitimate. We probably still have months of this going on for him to for him to establish that legitimacy. I mean, it's it's probably something where it's going to be going to grow over time. Like you know, <clears throat> he keeps on defending this title. He doesn't he doesn't lose it. I mean, it's hard to it's hard, it's hard you know in, in like having a grudging respect for Moose by the by the time that Tessa comes back. I would like to see him in a program with uh, Elgin right now. Where Elgin ke- uh, tries to go out and prove to him that he's not the real champion, you know, and he's going to take the belt to to prove that he's going after the real belt or whatever, and you know, lose a couple of matches to Moose. I think that would legitimize legitimize the belt a lot more. Yeah, but can, can Elgin afford those losses? Is the question. I think he can. I think in in the current environment, everything is 
a little forgiving, especially when you're going up against a guy who's been a top-level star for quite a few years. Him losing to Moose isn't as, as painful as him losing to Ace Austin. You know, I, I still have no idea what the hell they were thinking last year. I mean, it, it's I have not agreed with the booking over that for that world championship. You know, over the, most of the last couple of years, I I really do not understand <clears throat> Elgin not beating Brian Cage for that championship. You know, what did Cage wrestle like five more matches for an Impact after after that? Something like that, yeah. I mean, it's just and he had and he had wrestled and he had not wrestled for two months prior to that, so. That that was still that was still as a major head scratcher for me. Yeah, it didn't make much sense to me either. But um, I, it's not like we've gotten a real. We didn't get, and then we didn't get anything out of Sammy. He only had what two matches. Yeah, I think I think he and, and Tessa each defended it once each, twice each. And one of Tessa's defenses was against Taya Valkyrie. Yeah, she defended against Ty and she defended against Ace Austin. So I think those are her two defenses. Right. Did she defend it against Ace Austin? I thought that was just a. I oh, thought no, that, was that was a non title match. match wasn't it? That's right. It was a non title match, and, and then she wrestled for his exhibition title. So, no, I think it's. Right. I think Ty is her only defense so far. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I, I felt like the matches themselves were better than last week. But ultimately, I, I wasn't overly impressed. Uh, I do enjoy the fact that the outside of the Sammy um, Ken Shamrock thing, they didn't really go into too much that needed to pop a crowd or was overly produced. I mean, the Full Metal Mayhem match that that there wasn't any really high spots that that needed a crowd to react in order to make it special. No, and then the rest. The fact that somebody got hit with a pipe in the head and actually got hit. Because <coughs> that's what you yeah, that, if you get hit with a pipe in the head. That that was entertaining. And then they um, one negative that I really really had that I thought was why did they show? I mean, I know Impact is known for their retro matches. They usually have two or three matches, maybe four, in a regular Impact show, and then they throw a retro match in. Why did they do that in what was considered a special show? What that they, made what, no sense they, to me. They had a, they had a retro match in there? What retro match did they have in there? Sammy Callahan versus Rich Swan. Oh, okay. I mean, it wasn't yeah, like they went I, back I just, to... I, I always fast forward through those, so I just forgot it, I forgot it was in there. I mean, it wasn't like they went back to the 2008, 2009, and we heard Mike Tenay and, and Don West commenting on an AJ Styles match. It was, you know, it was Don Callis and, and uh, Josh Matthews, and it was a match that happened last year, but it was still a retro match that they went to. And I just don't understand where the thought process was in that. It's like, here's night two of what's supposed to be your your big grand slam hit of the of the virus i mean this is this is them going on par with um wrestlemania and with you know wrestle kingdom and and all this stuff and they put that in there it didn't make sense to me why that decision was made well they they showed that like right before they did the interview with uh rich swan and 
Willie Mack, right? So I think that I think there was probably just to, to, to hype up Rich Swan a little bit. I'm, I'm not really exactly sure. Unless this is leading to a Rich Swan versus Willie Mack feud, I don't care. Even if it is, I don't care because it's it's been building for too long. And it's Rich Swan versus Willie Mack. And it's flat as hell. I mean, there's there and and Johnny Swinger the why why is Johnny Swinger becoming a part of this? What it, what role is he going to play in all this? Is he going to be the one that breaks him up? It it's just this slow burn heel turn by Rich Swan has gone on for what about a year now? Um, something like that. And I'm not it's sure just, if I've ever told you before, but I can't stand Johnny Swinger. Oh, yeah, I know. I understand. I agree. I'm also not a fan of Willie Mack, so it's just dead. And to be honest, I've never really been a fan of Rich Swan. With the exception of his uh, heel turn in MLW, I've never really found Rich Swan interesting. No, I think he and Willie Mack are both very talented in the ring, but I think that their characters are awful. Yeah, they really are. And yeah, and I'll never go ahead. And I'll never, you know, disagree just because I don't like somebody's character or I don't see anything special with them. I'll never deny their talent in the ring. And speaking of uh, things that fell flat or um, things that were done very badly, what the fuck was the point of that chick going out, being out there during the Heaven versus Rosemary match? And what was the point of um, Josh and Madison arguing about it? She but kept saying, I know who that is. Well, fucking tell us then. Why did you say I know who that is 14 times in a row with Josh not saying anything, but then you still don't tell us who she is? Yeah. Her name is Nevaeh, but I'm not going to tell you anything else about her. And it's not like, I mean, I could understand if it was Sasha Banks or something. You know, someone that's a real impact player. Coming in, but this is somebody that I've never heard of before. Yeah, you know, at at, at first when she said, "I know that is that's Nevaeh," I thought I had, I you know, at a quick glance, I thought it was Victoria. That's who I thought at first too. But and that you know, and that would have made. Her, I have no idea who the hell it is, and so it was like, um, and she didn't do anything. So and she didn't say anything herself. So that whole thing was just ridiculous. There was absolutely no reason for it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, if if she wasn't going to get involved in the match or she wasn't going to cut a promo or something, Madison should have told us who the hell she is. Yeah, and she was like, oh, Havoc's, Havoc's noticed her. Havoc knows who she is. Well, fucking good for Havoc. Right. I, I still don't. I have no clue who she is. I, I And like, like you said, I mean, when I first got a glance, I was like, oh, that's Victoria. And that would have made sense because Madison and Victoria, they have a history. You know, they they were partners back when uh, Madison first broke away from the beautiful people and everything. Mm -hmm. It made sense. But then when I realized it wasn't Victoria, it's just like, okay, this is just dumb. Why is this happening? Yeah, it's it is really, really stupid. It's it's gotten to a point where I don't want to blame the writers for um, booking badly or writing badly. I think whoever is in charge of creative is really having an issue trying to duplicate um, 
the late 90s success of multiple overlaying storylines. And I think they're trying way too hard and really overbooking simplistic ideas. I think ultimately that's what the problem is. You know, you and I talked uh, either last week or the week before on Dynamite After Dark about how everything in uh, Dynamite feels like a shared universe. Everything in AEW feels like it's, it's, it rolls into everything else. Right. Um, nothing on Impact feels that way. No. I mean, it, I mean, everything feels segmented. Like, like when you see the Rascals come out there, and then you see um, OBE come out there, and then like the next match you see. Uh, Rajit go out, come out there or, you know, or somebody like that, then, you know, none of that feels like it's happening on the same show. That, yeah, same that four way, that four way match really had no continuity, to, continuity to it. There was nothing in there that made me think any of those guys really disliked anybody else, except for the fact that this guy's a heel and this guy's a face. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but you know the, what that match did did the, do for the first time ever though was maybe maybe appreciative of Rohit Raju's talent. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, he he really he's really shined through in this match to me. I I felt like as much as I you and I have talked before about Trey and Dez about how they're the two, you know, highlights and both of them we can see as future superstars. This is the first time I looked at Rajit Rahu uh, and, and was like, hell yeah, this guy has superstar written all over him. Yeah, he really does. He's, I think he's just. Getting these a little bit more experience, and he'll be right up there with them. You know, because so, I, I looked at that match, and I was like, "What the fuck is Rahit Raju doing in this match?" And right. by the time it was over, I was like, "He was the star of the match." He was, he was definitely the glue. And I don't know who this other guy was, the guy that actually won. I, what was his name? Chris Bay. Who is he? I've never heard of him before. Never. I, I know nothing about this guy. It, it just his theme music makes me want to cry. I, I don't want to. I think. AJ Styles is the only guy on the planet that can get away with a slow rap song as a theme, as an intro music. <laughs> Everybody else, you need to, you want to have that upbeat, high octane, getting you fired up. And this guy's theme music was actually slower than AJ's. Like when AJ had his originally, I, I kind of questioned it a little bit, uh, his WWE theme. I questioned it, but at the same point, it kind of fits his character. It fits his, you know, his walk to the ring and his cadence and everything. It fits him. So I'm okay with it. This guy, it didn't fit at all. Brother, the Briscoes can pull that off too. Yeah, you're right. The Briscoe. Yeah, but theirs isn't rap music though. I theirs know, but is, if it was, they could pull that off too. Oh yeah. There, it, there's but there's a the very, can't pull off. there's very few people that can pull off that style of, of entrance music. Bobby Roode's another one uh, with his glorious theme. You know, he's able to pull it off. But there's very few people that can do it, and I don't think Chris Bay can do it. Yeah. As far as who he is, he, he debuted about a month ago on Impact. He was a, I think he kind of bounced around the Indies before that, and he's, he was kind of like, you know, I guess like, uh, um, I don't know, I can't think of his name. Um, but anyway, he's he's got like their latest indie pickup. He's got some talent. I'll give him that, and maybe he'll grow on me when he develops some personality. 
on like a, a separating personality right now i think he's just too i i don't want to say he's vanilla baby face but he is he's a heel or you know what i mean but he i don't want this to come off racist because you know me I, i'm the furthest thing from but he really has that cool black guy vibe to him and they're playing that up and i want him to develop a personality outside of that yeah, I really want him to have some actual time to explain who he is and and you know why we should care about him. Otherwise, you know, all we've seen so far from him have been, you know, just just a few matches out there. So, and I, mean, I, I just I really want him to have more time to expand on his character. Who I mean, he's the ultimate finesse. Okay, so why is he the, why is he the ultimate finesse? What does that mean? What does he do? Show exactly. us finessing. Don't just say he's the ultimate finesse. Right, exactly. And, you know, that maybe get him in an Ace Austin type role. I think he would be great at where Ace Austin is trying to, um, you know, what, what was his, what was his t-shirt that he had? The I after your mother or whatever, Yeah. you know, I mean, have him put him in a role like that. I think then we could actually see him shine. But if they're just going to call him the ultimate, you know, and, and, do what they're doing with him. I don't think that it's going to work very well. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, he should be in some kind of a con man type role, um, especially with that with that name. And we haven't seen anything from him like that yet. No, you, you know, he shouldn't. He shouldn't be like, you know, a slime ball, you know, sex guy like ASOS, and he shouldn't be like a rich guy. He should be somebody who who con, you know he he tricks you into doing things. He cons you into doing things. You know. You know who he would be. Uh, uh, the kind of character that I think would be great for him. Remember Shad and JTG? Yeah. I think that kind of character would be great for him. Without the goofiness, though? Well, no. Th- when they first came out, they weren't goofy. I mean, the uh, um, Street Profits, they're goofy. They might be funny, but they're goofy. I never felt that about Shad and JTG in the beginning. I mean, towards the end, especially after Shad got fired, um, JTG kind of went a little off the rails. But in the beginning, I felt like they were just, they were like Usos before the Usos. Before the Usos heel turn. See, and I kind of want him to be a different type of, like a a guy that actually like, he like runs a long con on you or something like that, you know. Like you could see the Usos doing. Yeah, that makes sense. I could like, uh, yeah, I'd like that too. I think that would work well. And when I text you, when I started watching this and I was so upset about um, Josh calling um, certain people, like when I think of TNA originals, I think of the people that were on the old Asylum shows. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not thinking about people that debuted in 09 like Hernandez and Suicide. But what you said made sense because, you know, RVD and... And uh, Rhino, they weren't technically, especially Rhino. I mean, Rhino didn't show up to, what, 99, 2000, right before they closed the doors? You know, he's definitely not a TNA or not a ECW original. But it made sense because, you know, he was there when you know, they got he made his name in ECW and so on. And while I can see that with Hernandez, it still annoys me with Suicide. Because all suicide is, is a mask. It's not the same guy 
that debuted as Suicide. Unless you're going to bring Frankie Kazarian back to play Suicide, I don't want to hear him call this a TNA original. Well, that's what kind of confused me about the, the and correct me if I'm wrong, but I maybe my memory is just spotty on this. But wasn't the whole idea of Manic was that they didn't want to go with they didn't want to have Suicide as the name of the character anymore, so they changed it to Manic. Well, they didn't want to. They didn't want to have it because it wasn't. I mean, Frankie Kazarian made the Suicide character. Yes, it was a video game. Yes, it debuted there. Yes, it became it came on TV. But if it wasn't for Frankie Kazarian wearing the suit with his athletic ability, it never would have been anything like the video game version. That's what made Suicide so special is because when you're watching him, it felt like he was you were playing the video game because Frankie Kazarian was so athletic and so talented. But then when they put it on somebody else, they changed it because it just wasn't the same guy. And I never got that suicide feeling out of this guy. It's like, okay, it's just a mask. Right. But, but I, And I understand what you're saying, but my point was, didn't they change the name of the character of Suicide to Manic at some point? Yes, they did. And, that, and that's yep. when TJP was under the mask, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. After. So, so and yet they were, and and that's why I thought it was so funny when they were doing the, the TNA special. They they made a big deal of of suicide and, and manic teaming together for the first time. It's like, yeah, because they're the same goddamn character, you morons. <laughs> well, and it, it just when it's not the when it's not the oh, same it's the first, guy. It's the first time ever of of HBK teaming up with Rocker Shawn Michaels. Well, of course, of course it is. How can it even happen? Well, it's a, it's the same thing like when uh, um, I I can't even think of it. I I totally lost my train of thought. It's the game teaming up with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Wow, that's a stretch. I mean, it's that's rising teaming up with Triple H. I mean, what if it was Road Dog teaming up against Jesse James? <laughs> the roadie, the Road Dog, and the roadie, or something like that. Um, yeah, I I mean, I don't know, I. It, it annoyed me because as far as I'm concerned, you can't just put any ma- any Rey Mysterio mask on any wrestler and call him Rey Mysterio. And I feel like that's what they, they did with Suicide. You can't do that. He should have been, uh, yeah, okay, great. It's like bringing Rick Bogner back as Razor Ramon or Glenn Jacobs as Diesel. You just can't do it. If it's not Frankie Kazarian dressed up in that suit, it's not suicide, plain and simple. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I don't think we need to talk about the other match to you. Well, there's two of them. I mean, we didn't really talk much about Rosemary and Havoc. Um, I, I just don't think there's a lot of meat on the bone there. There really wasn't I, I mean, outside. There, there was no reason. I mean, they they kind of had to throw this together, so there really wasn't a reason for a lot of these matches on here. I mean, at least the world title match, they were they were wrestling to see, you know, at, nominally for who the who the top contender was going to be for that world championship, but 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 possibly even for Moose's at TNA world title that he brought out to the ring with him. Right. Um, Rosemary versus Havoc were wrestling because Ty Valkyrie didn't feel like coming to the arena. The only nice thing we got out of the Rosemary versus Havoc match was the promo beforehand when we got to listen to Jessica Havoc talk. I haven't heard Jessica Havoc talk that much ever. Yeah. 
if you combine every word Jessica Havoc has ever said, I have not heard her talk as much as she did in that opening promo, and she was brilliant. Why don't they let her talk? I don't know. Maybe they will going forward. I hope so, because she was really good at it. I, I was listening to her, her tell that story before they moved to Rosemary. I was really... It, it, I, maybe I was just blown away because it was Jessica Havoc and I wasn't expecting it. But it was it was enthralling. I, I enjoyed listening to what she was saying, which is not something I can say about many people cutting promos. Actually, something else I want to say about this match is is I hated the beginning of it. I hated Rosemary pleading with Havoc to not have the match. It did not fit Rosemary's character whatsoever. Well, and Rosemary constantly talking about how um, Ty has got a drinking problem and them constantly bringing that up throughout the match. I, I it just It's a storyline that just needs to go away. It's not very good. I like the Rosemary Ty Valkyrie storyline, but I but I hated the way that it was played into this one, and I hated Rosemary running away from a fight or trying to, or I mean, not literally running away, but trying to you know trying to verbally talk her way out of it because that's just yeah. not, that's just not her. No, she's. I mean, you know, they even said it on her way to the match that she's the only person other than Havoc to have the kind of body count they have. Right, and you know. Havoc and Sue Young, yeah, and then and then um, and then that spot with the chain was just stupid because. You know, again, Rosemary is too cerebral to have done that. She, I mean, she would have climbed outside the ring and pulled the chain on the outside. She would not have done it in the middle of the ring like that. The other thing that really got me, too, is when Havoc went to wind up and, and whip her with the chain, the only thing I kept thinking in my head is, that's not going to happen. You know, I and maybe it's because I, I'm an old school wrestling fan and, you know, I've been watching this for years and everything, but they try to protect wrestlers. A whip is one thing. A leather belt is one thing. A um, dog strap is one thing. But a steel chain, that would that could have, if swung too hard, could have broken Rosemary's back. There was no way that was going to connect. So that spot I didn't buy into even for a second. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've seen that happen with gimmick chains before, but that was clearly not a gimmick chain, and so yeah, no. there was no way that was going to happen. No, and I will say this: you were right about Joseph P. Ryan. I I dig him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like him. I like Joseph P. Ryan. <laughs> I, I like him much better than the Joey Ryan that that was there forever. Yeah, and I, and I think you and I think you um, and I, I had never had any appreciation whatsoever for uh what's her name katie katie forbes is that her name i don't know i, I blocked her out of my life or? yeah i blocked her out of my life okay yeah i had never had, had not any appreciation for her whatsoever until this angle so yeah i i really did you know i mean the storyline with him against the deaners whatever blah blah but i really enjoyed him as uh joseph p ryan <laughs> that was really entertaining i i liked that a lot I guess I guess we'll see where, you know where that goes in the future. It, it, it's such it's such a weird time to be a to be um, a wrestler or a wrestling company or even a wrestling fan right now because you just don't know who they're going to have to work with over the next few weeks. I mean, is it only going to be that skeleton crew they had working this pay per view that they're going to have for the next time they have however many long they did the taping for? You know. Ah, oh, I hope not because they need some more of their talent there. Filibuster for a second. I got to grab something. Okay. 
yeah, so I mean, it's it's going to be weird if they don't have anybody. I mean, I mean, like Eddie Edwards not being around is going to feel very weird. Um, you know, Tessa Blanchard not being around is going to feel very weird. Taya Valkyrie not being around would suck. <laughs> so it sucked terribly for me. Um, I guess that you know, at least Ace Austin is still around. At least uh, Michael Elgin is there. Rosemary, um, you know the the Rascals, but I mean the North isn't there, and they're and they're one of the highlights of the show every single week. So I mean it's just it's it's very weird, you know, the way that the world is kind of. I mean, and we're all living within it, and it's not the end of the world. I mean, <clears throat> you know, people losing their jobs is obviously more important, and um, you know, you know, people being sick and dying is obviously more important. But it's just as a as a wrestling fan, it's just weird to. And as a wrestling podcaster, it's, it's you know it's weird to watch these these shows and just wonder like on a week to week basis like who are they going to have to work with? Um, like this coming week on um, tomorrow, well, tomorrow night on Dynamite, <clears throat> it's like you know um, Hangman Page has been outspoken about not wrestling you know during this pandemic. So um, are they going to have a World Tag Team Title match? even at double or nothing <clears throat> is he going to be around for them to build up to a, to a match i mean what are they going to do so i mean and and the, that's the other thing is like you know what are they building what are they going to do for double or nothing if they only have the skeleton crew to work with it's just really really odd yeah it's unfortunately the times we're in so i think at some point we're going to have to just accept it but i don't know that i ever want to um I definitely don't want to pay $50 for a uh, pay-per-view that has Johnny Peacock in it. Or what's that guy? Johnny Pineapple or Pete Pineapple or whatever his name is. I was about to say, I mean, I think what they really need to do for this pay-per-view is they've got to build up to a string Chris Jericho and Pineapple Pete. Oh, actually, I wouldn't mind that at all. But only a Pineapple Pete gets some run. Yeah. They need to have a, they need to have a, you know how they used to have like a, you remember like there was that one Royal Rumble where it was that weightlifting challenge between the Ultimate Warrior and um, Ravishing Recruit? No, thankfully. It was a challenge between, um, was it, oh, I'm sorry, it's a pose down. You know, they need to have a flim flam challenge between Pineapple Pete and Chris Jericho. I would actually pay 50 bucks to watch that. I hate to say it, but... You just have money money coming out of your pores right now, if that's the case. I would pay $50 to see a flim-flam challenge between Pineapple Pete and Chris Jericho. Yeah, I'd probably pay pay 50 bucks to watch uh, the Exalted One chokeslam Sean Spears off the top of of the building. Speaking of off the top of the building... Um, cause I'm pretty sure we're done with this crap. Uh, did you see that money in the bank is going to be simultaneous ladder matches? I did. Which makes sense because once you see it, you're never going to want to see it again. So if you're going to see the men battle to the top of the building, there's no way in hell I'm going to watch the women do the same thing. I'm not going to watch it at all. <clears throat> oh, I'm not either, but I might. I may end up tuning in just to see what kind of train wreck TV they're going to put on us. But I, I still don't think that it, it's like I said last week, 
or two weeks ago now, I can't remember. It's going to be them battling a stairway because what's the point of going into all the floors? Yeah. It, it's really dumb. It, it's a dumb idea. It's not a, it, it, Unless, like you said, they put up like an obstacle course where they can't go up the stairway anymore because it's blocked off or whatever. But there, too, it's a smart idea to have both the women's and the men's going on at the same time because it, uh, once you see it, you've seen it. There, You don't want to watch it again. The only thing I hope, the only thing I hope is that one or the other wins at first. Like, um, say Alexa Bliss takes down, and I don't know if she's in the match. I don't really care who's in the matches, but... Let's just say Alexa Bliss takes down the women's money in the bank ladder match and the men are still fighting like two floors down and uh, Mandy Rose goes after the men's match or Nia Jax or somebody goes after the men's lat- um, the men's contract. I think that would be kind of an interesting finish. Well, and then Mandy Rose because I was going to say that <clears throat> and, I, and I again, like you, I don't know the participants, but if Dozerman is in the men's money in the Bankwater match, I think it'd be great if he, you know, if he helped Manny Rose win the women's one instead of actually trying to win the men's one. Are you hungry? No, I just ate, but thanks for you got to speak up, Boo. I can't hear you. Do you want the applesauce? Sorry, I've got a hungry child. Let me guess, a fruit snack? No? What do you want? Oh, so Otis is in the men's match, but Manny Rose is not in the women's match. That's disappointing. I think that would have been I think that would have been a really cool and a really sweet thing for them to do is if Otis just um, was you know was, was close to winning the men, the men's match, but then he just decided, but then he abandoned it to help Mandy win the women's. But, that would have fit. That would have fit their storyline really, really well. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't know why they're not doing that. That would have, that would have been really awesome. But she's not. But the the women in the match are Oscar, Shayna, Nia, Dana Brooke. What I'd like to see, what I would like to see is, I would like to see, like, um, I don't need to put water on that. But if, if it, if I were to watch it, we don't need to, Arlo, it's fine. Sorry, my, uh, my week has been hell this week, (laughs) as you guys can tell. (laughs) Hopefully he'll be asleep by nine, nine o'clock tomorrow night. Um, anyway, so I, I just think if they're going to do it simultaneously, a a storyline like that would be, would be great where the women that don't win the women's match, like the women get up there first because, you know, they're faster and blah, blah, whatever. Um, but, to to see the women win the match first and then have the remaining women battle with the men for the rights to the other one, I think would be a great way to finish that match. I wonder how close the ladders are going to be to each other. Cause I wonder if, there, if there's like a possibility of like one ladder getting knocked down and then knocking and then knocking the, uh, the other, like, you know, say like a woman's about to win the match, but the men's ladder gets knocked down. So it's them off the ladder. That'd be kind of cool too. I don't know. I'm actually the more we're, let's stop talking about this because the more we're talking about, the more I want to watch it. <laughs> Just to see what kind of train wreck is going to happen. Well, I've already committed to not watching any WWE ever again. So, um, 
Now that's you've that's done that. True for the past events, I I did actually watch. Uh, I'm actually listening along to WWF the Legacy series, so I did watch a Saturday Night's main event from 1987 earlier today. It's funny because I watch I watched more and more 80s uh, Saturday Night's main event and uh, wrestling superstars over the last week because we talked about that last week about how they should do the logos. Do you did you see what I was talking about about the logos and the the promos on the way to the ring and all that stuff? I don't know what you were talking about, man. I lived through that time. Right, but it it, it was a lot more than I remember it being. Okay. Like, I remember it just being the superstars when I I first. Yeah, but then when I was watching back, it's like the jobbers had logos, too. Yeah, I I watched the Nega Powers form, so. Nice. Yeah. And then I watched the Heart Foundation beat the... uh, the Young Stallions in the in the the last match of Saturday Night's main event. You know, it's hard to call it the main event, even though it happened last. But you know, that's how the Saturday Night's main events were structured a lot of the times. Um, but, oh, you know, the Young Stallions! To see the wow. As heels actually win a match without cheating was pretty awesome. Tom Zank was that Tom Zank and Rick Martel? No, no not Rick Martel. Um, this was uh, Jim Powers and Paul Roma. Okay. Yep. Wow. Which one was the one that Steamboat was a part of? Or not Steamboat. Um, oh, Strike Force. Tito Santana was Strike Force Rick Martel. Yep. Man, so many great tag teams back then. Yeah, there really were. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if Demolition's even debuted at the at the one I'm at the at the point I'm at, I was watching at today. Well, they debuted in '88, so if you watched '87, you didn't. It was it was after the mega powers exploded. Okay, I, I couldn't remember, um, and I and I know that you know I knew, I know when they win the championships at WrestleMania in '88, but I didn't know, yep. you know when they actually came to the company. Because they beat the Hart Foundation at WrestleMania four to win the championship. Who did? Demolition. No, Strike Force beat the Hart Foundation. Demolition beat Strike Force. Okay, so Strike Force must have won then at WrestleMania four. No, Demolition beat Strike Force at WrestleMania four. Well, now I'm all confused. The Hart Foundation are in the Battle Royal WrestleMania. Oh, that's right. Yep. And that was when, um, uh, what's his name? Bad News Brown turned his back on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) The fact that I even remembered Bad News Brown gives me a a couple of nods on the... I'm going to stop. It's kind of funny that at both WrestleMania 2 and WrestleMania 4, Bret Hart was the was the last man to be eliminated in a, in a battle royal before the eventual winner. Nice. Because um, I think Andre won the battle royal at WrestleMania 2, and then Bad News won it at WrestleMania 4, but Bret was the last one eliminated in both of them. All I know is I want to go back and start watching all the WrestleManias. Well... I think the I think next I can, I'm not the exact, exactly sure the the date of the next Saturday's main event so it might be so it's either like right before or right after um, Survivor Series the very first Survivor Series so well maybe after we finish the um, Sinclair era and um, our ECW that we started and never finished maybe we might want to take a look at WrestleManias because I wouldn't mind going back and watching some of those especially some of the ones from the 80s 90s. Before we do the impact years? Oh, fuck. That's right. We're doing the asylum years, too. <laughs> wow. We have so much to do. 
Guys, you are going to be listening to us talk for years at this point, just on the content we want to do, not on the new stuff that's coming up. Yeah, you'll probably hear us. By, by the time that by the time we finish, I might I might even be living in Nashville. Who knows? And we're going to be on like COVID seventy five at that point. Okay, so November twenty six, eighty seven was Survivor Series. Let me see when that Saturday Night's Main event is. It's riveting radio, guys. Riveting. Why cover it for you? Why aren't you talking while I'm doing this? Because <laughs> um, I'm not that kind of guy. Okay, so November 28th of 87 is the Saturday Night's Main Event. What did I say that? What did I say the other one was? November 28th? I don't know. Something 87. If it was Survivor, Ser- if it was Survivor Series, it would be the end of November. Because <laughs> they used to see which one is which one is before the other. When was Saturday Night's Main Event? When was Saturday Night's Main Event? November twenty eighth of eighty seven. Well, that would have been a Saturday, so. And Survivor Series is November twenty sixth of eighty seven. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so two days after Thanksgiving, uh, that's that's kind of weird. They they did it that way, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. Because that's two like. I mean, that's the pay-per-view, and then that's a fairly large quarterly show done within two days of each other. Oh, I know why that happened that way. Because <clears throat> Saturday Night's event was all planned out. They already had it all scheduled out through NBC, but Survivor Series, they put together at the last, kind of, kind of last minute to compete against on the same night as Starcade. That's right. They both used to be on Thanksgiving night. That was the you watch the two afternoon or the the early and late football games, and then you tune to wrestling for Starcade, and then Survivor Series came out. So, man, I miss I miss Thanksgiving Day wrestling. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, me too. I think it's silly that Survivor Series isn't on Thanksgiving anymore, but you know. Well, we got to have Sunday when we can get the most uh, most people to view in or to most views possible because they don't have to get up for work. And uh. yeah, but MLW came to the rescue last year, remember? Yeah, thank God, and they had a um, fairly decent show, didn't they? They did. If I remember right. Yeah, they. Had the, I think that was the one where it had. Wasn't that the one where the world title was defended against the Von Erich brothers? Yeah, it was when uh, when Filthy Tom turned his back. Nobody could ever see that coming. No, no. I mean, that wasn't you know that wasn't one of the worst laid heel turns I've ever seen. <laughs> right down to the promo beforehand, saying how great Carry or um, what's his Von Eric name was Ross. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, uh, we got a few minutes left, so want to do another Mount Rushmore? Yeah. What do you want to do? Tag teams. I'm going tag teams this time. All right. And I'm thinking, um, you know, the decade thing was fun. Actually, you know, I wouldn't mind doing like we did last week where we do one just kind of an all-time greatest to us and then one kind of a decade tag team. All right. So do we want to go all at once or do we want to do back and forth? Uh, Just do all at once. You know, do your uh, so, do your greatest. We'll we'll discuss a greatest one, and then we'll go with uh, a decades one. Okay, so I'll go Young Bucks. 
number number Young Bucks are my all-time favorite tag team. So, I think I think they're the greatest tag team of all time. Um, I think they're you know they're they're just amazing. So um, number and, and also my top four would be the Dudley Boys slash Team 3D, whatever you want to call them. I think they're I think they're also amazing. Um, and they you know they and they you know. They had multiple tag team title reigns at every promotion they were ever in. I mean, I think, I think it's tough to, and they were, you know, top draws in all the list promotions hey. too. So, helped to, you know, helped establish the TLC match, all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> I can't disagree with either one of those. Uh, Dudleys aren't in my top five. Young Bucks definitely are. I mean, but the Dudleys aren't going to be. Interesting. Okay. Um. Because I'm also looking at this not just as, you know, who I think. Because if, if we went, oh, these are the greatest, that's no fun. Everybody does that. So I'm looking more at, like, who are our greatest. Like, who is the greatest to you specifically? Yeah. Um, and that's why the Dudleys don't make my list. You know, I didn't appreciate this team enough, I think, when I was actually watching them. Um, as they were as they were coming up, because I, I did kind of see them from the beginning of their time, and, I'm, and I still watch them today. Um, but but now that we're going back and watching Ring of Honor again, I'm I'm, see, I'm appreciating them more. I appreciate them for what everything they do today. So the W Boys are going to be in there, and I'm trying to think who else who else would I have in my top four? My favorite tag teams of all time um well while you think i know i had steve austin in there last week but i have to go to hollywood watch yeah it's not a bad one either they were really integral to uh wcw well nwa no wcw WCW. Well, you're thinking of your last ones. Let me run down mine. Um, my alt. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I gave you four already. <laughs> you gave me three. No, I gave you the Young Bucks, the Dudleys, Dudleys, Hollywood Blondes, and that's Hollywood all I Blondes heard. And the Briscoes. Oh, you did say the Briscoes. Okay, I didn't hear that. I I heard you talking Ring of Honor, but I didn't actually hear a name. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take off I'm gonna take off the Hollywood Blondes and put in the Heart Foundation. Okay, yeah, and that's that's where I was going to go. That's my number one all-time Heart Foundation. Outside of Randy Savage watching the Heart Foundation, uh, especially when it was the original trio, the you know Hitman, uh, Anvil, and Jimmy Hart, that's what got me into wrestling. So my ultimate number one tag team of all time is the Heart Foundation. Um, after that, the Young Bucks are a close second. I especially over the last maybe two to three years, the Young Bucks have really kind of stolen my heart as far as tag team wrestling goes. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Revival is up there uh, as probably my number three, just because I don't know that I've ever seen another tag team that has captured me the way that they are. And people always want to say, well, this this team is better, this team is better. But when you look at the fact that the revival, especially in NXT, we're going to see what kind of great shit they can do now where wherever they land. Um, 
but the fact that yeah, they I were able. I have a hard time putting the revolt in there just because I, you know, it's been years since we've seen them. We didn't see them for very long, and we didn't get a chance to really see what they could do for for the long haul. But they did such great, great work against. Uh, narrow window. Though. That was, that's my point. I think we saw glimpses of it in some of their short matches in WWE. I guess it'll. I I, I think I'm kind of looking more towards. And believe me, this is a hard list because especially when you look at the 80s tag teams, I, I don't know that there was anything better. Um, you know, but my fourth pick is tough because as much as I want to give the Briscoes their love, as much as I want to give, um, you know, some of these other tag teams love, I really have to go demolition as my number four. They were so dominant for such a a long period of time. And I guess it wasn't really that long. It was maybe four or five years, but they were so dominant that it's hard not to. Oh, man, you know what? I'm going to recant my last two. Because they just hit me out of the blue. The Midnight Rockers who got me into wrestling to begin with. The AWA watching Shawn Michaels and uh, and the Midnight Rockers and their battles against the Road Warriors. That's my three and four. I was, so I, I was really surprised you didn't have the Road Warriors in your top four. So I'm so, glad you recanted and, and, and brought them in there. And my, I, especially uh, when you had put me at Demolition, which was you know which Demolition would never was, have existed if, if Vincent had been able to get the Road Warriors in the first place. Exactly. So I mean, my four, my four, the Hart Foundation, the Bucks, the Midnight Rockers, and I'm talking the Midnight Rockers, not that crappy Rockers experience that was in WWE. I'm talking the Midnight Rockers, mm-hmm. and um, and the Road Warriors. That's my that's my four. Yeah, I mean, and there's guys that you know, there's guys that we left out, like you know, the Hardys, Edge and Christian. Um, and believe me, it's hard to leave out Edge and Christian. Um, Blanchard really and Anderson. Hard. Yeah, but which Blanchard and Anderson? Were they better in as the Brainbusters or when they were in the NWA? Um, I think you're always better with Bobby Heenan by your side. So. That's a good point. That's a good you know, point. I'm not but sure I mean, team, I think they were better in the NWA, but just just because Bobby Heenan being out there with him, I think they were better than WWF. Well, and when you look at tag times throughout the years, I mean, there's so many great ones. I you, it, we another one we forgot about was the American Males, or not American Males. Um, <laughs> what? I the uh, the um, the ones from TNA, Chris Harris and James Storm. Oh, America's Most Wanted. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You know, that's another tag team that we forgot about, and then um, you had some other great tag teams, uh, Motor City Machine Guns. You know, where would they fall on a list like this? I, I would definitely think they'd be, you know, in a top 10 somewhere. You know, and then and you the look at people. You, you have to consider the Outsiders. Yep, the Outsiders. Aftershock is another one. Or Future Shock, I'm sorry, is another one. You know, there's so many great tag teams throughout the years that this is really, really a tough list. But if I had to pick and narrow it down, I have I, I feel pretty confident with my top four. Yeah, and I and see, I I had I had to have the W's in mind because they I mean, they were I loved them so much in ECW. You know, they were more, they were a more 
you know, tamped down version with the, with the WWF, but I still enjoyed them there. And then when they went to TNA, they were fantastic. So. See, for me, for me in ECW, it wasn't just Devon and Bubba. It was the whole family. Um, so it wasn't, you know, I never really pictured, yeah, they were the two main guys, but ultimately the Dudley boys came across as a family for me. Once they hit WWF, I, I felt like both the Hardys and Edge and Christian, especially Edge and Christian, when they hit their, um, ENC team Eck, uh, five second pose phase, I, there was nobody in WWE better than them at the time. Hardy's put on some great matches. I mean, you could have looked at a dozen tag teams during that time, but ultimately, I think ENC was probably the best at the at the time. And speaking of ECW tag teams, I you know I I, I would be remiss in not mentioning the Public Enemy. The public, the public enemy were you know were the main event for ECW for the first couple of years of their existence. Their, ECW may not have succeeded if it wasn't for the for, for the public enemy. Yeah, and it's such a shame what they did to them in WCW. Mm-hmm. It really is because they were so talented. They were so good at drawing heat. They were they were a comedy act, but a comedy act that you could believe could kick your ass. It was that's such a great tag team. There's so many great tag teams. It's hard to. It's really hard to pick one, to be honest with you. And, and honestly, like like over the years, just hearing about the team, I I am very sad that I never got a chance to see um, the team of Ric Flair and Greg Valentine in their prime. Get down. I really would have no. really would have enjoyed seeing those no. two team up as a as a as a heel. You know, bloody bastard of a tag team. You know, and that's another tag team that actually was really good that really is underrated because um, one of them was not a great wrestler and really picked a couple of bad gimmicks afterwards. Well, every every gimmick afterwards. Yeah, the dream team. As a tag team, those two were great together. But once uh, Beefcake broke off and became the barber and then went to WCW and was literally the man of a thousand names, it, did that kind of taint that tag team? Because when you had, I mean, you had, you had, uh, was it Freddie Blassie who was their manager? I thought it was Jimmy Hart. No, uh uh-uh. No, I, it was, I know, oh no, no, it wasn't, it was, um, it wasn't Freddie Blassie, it wasn't Jimmy Hart, it was somebody else. Oh, I can't remember his name. I, it'll I come to me. It was Jimmy Hart that was with them at WrestleMania 3. No, Jimmy Hart was part of the Hart Foundation, dude. He couldn't do both? No. Was it Jimmy Valiant? Yep, that's who it was. Okay. You know, you had Jimmy Valiant, then you had Greg Valentine, and then uh, Brutus Beefcake, who I thought really complimented them. Uh, I, I just, I thought it was a, I thought they were a great, great tag team. <laughs> All right. So I, I went first in the, uh, in this discussion. So what about your, t- your uh, teams of the decades for the decades? Well, I, I'm going to go in reverse cause I think the eighties are probably the hardest. I think in, um, 2010s, you've got to go young bucks. Um, two thousands, it's ENC edge and Christian. I they didn't ha- they only had a good two or three year run in the beginning, but I think their two or three year run really outshone everybody else. Um, in the nineties, oh god, the nineties were so bad. You'd have to go with the Hollywood Blondes, I think. 
And then the 2000s, I mean, well, since Heart Foundation was my number one of the of all time, they've got to be the number one of the 80s. Okay, so for the 80s, yeah, I think it's got to be the Heart Foundation. Um, for the 90s, I think it's actually a team we have not mentioned yet, and that's the New Age Outlaws. Oh, how do we not mention them, considering he's one of my top five all-time in the WWF? I don't know, but I, I think I think that they've got, they've got to be the team in the 90s. If it's not them, it's got to be the Outsiders. I mean, it's, it's one of those two teams to me in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Hollywood Blondes had a great run, but you're right. Nowhere near as good as those two. Yeah, and the 2000s, again, just because they were in every promotion, I'm going to go with the Dudleys. Um, and they dominated every promotion in the 2000s. You know? Arlo, and, get off the back of the chair. And in, in the 2010s, it's got to be the Young Bucks. There's no question. Yeah, in the 2010s, especially the second half, I mean, they, they kind of took – well, no, I mean, they were – yeah, I mean, they came into TNA in the end of 2009. They, they ended up being champions in TNA in 2010. And then they went to Ring of Honor where they really honed their craft. So, yeah, I mean, there's no question the Young Bucks are the team of the, t- of the tens because they're 10 years deep in this, and they're still on top. Um, yeah, I didn't at even... one point in the 2010s, they held <clears throat> the PWG World Tag Team titles, the ROH World Tag Team titles, the... Um, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships and the Super Kick Party Championships of the World. And the TNA titles. I know, but I say at the same time. Oh, yeah, okay. They yeah. have all four right. of those belts at the same time, including the Super Kick Party Tag Team Championships. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't get past that. That's that's like the ultimate right there. <laughs> didn't uh, didn't somebody win those Super Kick titles from them? Um, I thought that I thought that was a storyline at one point in Ring of Honor. Not that I remember, but it's possible. I will get there at some point, I'm sure, because we're doing the the you know the Ring of Honor stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. And, I mean, and, I and just, I know this is a Mount Rushmore thing, but I but I, you know, so far we're you know we're now too, we're now uh, in you know I I would say though that I think the undisputed era really made a push towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the 2010s. You know, Red Dragon to be the to team of the 2010s. <laughs> You could make an argument for Red Dragon because I think Red Dragon has really been going strong since what 2013. But I don't think yeah, that they they, held, they, held the, you know, they also held all the same titles except for the TNA titles that the Bucks did. Plus, they were two-time NXT Tag Team Champions. But they were never that until NXT. They were never that top draw. Mm-hmm. Where the bucks you could have thrown into a main event, you never could have done that with Red Dragon and sold. Unless you were against the bucks. Exactly. So it, it's like, I mean, I would love to say yes, because I think they're two of the most talented wrestlers on the planet, especially as a tag team. But ultimately, when you look at the fact that you could have thrown the, the young bucks in a main event and sold, you never could have done that if, if Red Dragon main evented. It just wouldn't have happened. Um, you know, and it, the the 90s, I, the 2000s and the 90s are probably the two toughest eras because you had a Motor City Machine Guns who pretty much wrote the book on tag team wrestling, especially in the late 2000s. Um, and then to start the era, you had Edge and Christian, but you also had like uh, Paul London and um, uh, what's his name? Uh, 
Brian Kendrick were a strong tag team for three, four years in there. You had some really good tag teams in the 2000s. So, I mean, I'm not yeah, going to... I'm re- sure there's probably people that are listening to this screaming, no, the New Day were the tag team of the, of the 2010s, or... Oh, fuck that. Or no, the they were the tag team of the 2010s, but, but no, it, it is... Um, it is the Young Bucks. I would hear an argument. I would sit down legitimately hear an argument for the Usos, but not the New Day. The New Day were a marketing machine. The New Day were a um, you know a great trio, but I would never put them as a tag team of the two thousands. Yeah, you want you want to talk trios, maybe even factions? I would throw them in there. You want to talk about you know the who are the who are the best marketers of the two thousand of two thousand tens? I would throw them in there, but not when it comes to tag teams. They actually were recently named the the top WWE faction of all time. What? The the New Day were recently named by WWE.com as the greatest WWE faction of all time. I will never go to WWE.com again. Period. End of story. You can't tell me ever, ever that the New Day is a better faction than DX or the Nation or the Heart Foundation or, I guess, those three. The Shield? Goddamn, the Shield were great, too. (laughs) They're not even the best faction in the 2010s. No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) When you think about it, because the Shield were... What twelve to fourteen? The Wyatt family, I would if say, was. It, if, if you look at it objectively, I think the Shield has to be the has to be the greatest breath faction of all time in the, in the WWE. I think because with every, the every single member of that faction has been a top draw for the company. Even if you look at just the faction while they were a faction, mm-hmm. I think you could make that argument because they went undefeated for what over a year and a half. Yeah. Something you know, while they were undefeated, they were the tag team champions, and they were uh, they had the U.S. title. Dean Ambrose had a record-setting run as the U.S. title holder while a member of that faction. They were legitimately scary, but I don't know if I could say they were the top faction of all time. I'll give them the top of the two. Th- well, remember the Nexus. Before John Cena buried him? No. You can't say and, before, before John Cena buried them because, they, because he buried them when they first, right when they were getting off the ground. Well, yeah, but they were really strong for that first year before Cena really got involved. It was a year, man. It was like a few months. Wasn't it? I thought it was longer than that. All right, yeah, so you got to go with the Shield with the 2000s. Or 2010s. But would you really say they were better than Legacy? Or better, or better than um, uh, evolution. Yes. You would say the shield were better than evolution. Evolution at one time held every title on Raw. Yeah, for like a month. They still held them all at the same time. Evolution had three members that were world heavyweight title holders while they were members of Evolution. Evolution was was just the WWS version of a ripoff of of the Horsemen. Whereas the Shield was completely an original idea. But see, where where Evolution they may yes they were the ripoff, but 
even the horsemen couldn't hold claim to the fact that not only did they hold every title, but they had three distinct members hold the world title while members of the group. The four horsemen never had that. The only member of the horsemen, the horsemen ran from 84 to 98, and they never wait, had wait, but any. But he didn't hold the world title while, while being a member of the group. He, he challenged um, Triple H, but he was never officially ousted from the group until he left for SmackDown. So he was technically still an Evolution member while the world heavyweight title holder. Are you sure? Yeah. I looked it up one t- I looked it up one time. He was never officially ousted from the group. The group disbanded when he moved to SmackDown. And Randy Orton was ousted from the group the night after he won the championship. But he was still a title holder while a member. <laughs> I, it's, you are you, getting into super technicalities here, my friend. It, it's the truth. I mean, it's, it's not a technicality. It's the flat-out truth. He was still a member of Evolution the night he won the title. They celebrated with him and then turned on him. So he he was an official member of Evolution. I the the Batista but thing. I, but you I could, think most people would say that that the that the night that Batista power bombed Triple H the, through the table, Evolution was done. Oh yeah, I mean, and you could make that argument, but even regardless, they're still the only faction to have two. Well, NWO I guess did too, because they had they had technically three world heavyweight title holders with Nash and Savage and Hogan. But ultimately, I mean, you could make the argument that that's the giant was never a member wall. never a world title holder while a member of the new world order. He lost the belt to Hogan. Then three months later joined. And then when he challenged Hogan for the belt again, he got kicked out. Okay. I was trying to think, um, but other guys that were, members of the NWO world wall world. Now they weren't all together at the time, but Bret Hart was world champion as member of the NWO. So was Jeff Jarrett. Were they? Well, yeah, but that didn't really count. Cause that was some ridiculous. The only real member still part of the NWO was Kevin Nash. And it depends. Yeah, but there's still members of the NWO as world champion. <sighs> I, ugh. I can't get behind that. Sorry. I don't remember Scott Steiner. And, and I, it's possible Scott Steiner was, although I don't think so. All right. Legitimate faction members. I, I still think <laughs> of, because <laughs> I, I'm not going to count NWO 2000 as a legitimate NWO faction. I'm also not going to count the Wolf Pack as an illegitimate NWO faction. Okay. You know, so now you're just splitting hairs. When we're talking NWO, that'd be like, Saying the four horsemen and um, you know the four horsemen light were all the same faction. What are the four horsemen light? Heenan family. Oh no, they're not. They wouldn't be the same thing because they didn't have the same name. No, they but they had the, the same branding. And technically, they didn't have the same branding. If you want to look at it, Wolfpack's not the same as the NWO. It was a red and white. Yeah, but the oh. what the. But the NWO that Bret Hart was the world champion of was still called the NWO. Except for the fact that they put the 2000 after it, which completely negated it. Did they? Did they really? Yeah, it's officially known as NWO 2000. Okay. 
look at all the rent. Look at all the random discussions we can get into about wrestling and just enjoy ourselves. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, I've had enough for the night, and it's not that I don't love you, but I've got a child who needs to go to sleep. So um, if you're listening to us on YouTube, we appreciate it. I'm still working on trying to fix the sound. Hopefully I did. If I didn't, uh, it, it'll be worked on again tomorrow. But uh, make sure you give us a like. Hit the subscribe button. Ring the notification bell. We do appreciate it. And uh, look forward to bringing you more content, which we do at least twice a week live on YouTube. Also, our Patreon, patreon.com slash kingdom of honor. Uh, put up a live uh, Patreon, exclu- or not a live, but a uh, Patreon exclusive show last week where we broke down. Uh, it was Which one was it? It was Death Before Dishonor 2011. Uh, and of course, uh, look us up on, on Twitter. I'm at Rigi Co-op. He is at Zanman LOP and you can reach us faster by hitting, uh, using the hashtag DAD or the hashtag KOH. And make sure you stay tuned to all the other LOP radio shows here on, um, LOP radio. <laughs> Just, wow. Um, um, next week, Jeff, I, we haven't, I think we haven't really talked about what we're going to do next week, but are we bound for Gory 2005? <sighs> It's my plan. Okay. All right, so Bound for Glory 2005 for next week. Also, hopefully we'll do Final Battle 2011 for um, and wrap up 2011 for Ring of Honor next Tuesday for our, our Patreon show. Um, tomorrow night, MCLOP Radio Adventure here on Words of Pain Radio. On Friday, like I mentioned, the guys, the Mystic and Miss Fan are going through the WWF the Legacy Series, they're, at, they're in 1987 now, so I think their next event coming up is going to be Survivor Series 19, or 1987. So the very first Survivor Series on the same night as Starcade 87. Um, that's all we've got. We'll try to do better next time. This is Shane saying long days, pleasant nights, and saying goodbye. G1 Climax 27. Goodbye. And good night.